Michelle and I just got back from vacation. Girls, I might just pack up and move there. What? Where? Where, 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 did, you where did you go? It's this tiny little oasis on the coast of Florida. It's people like us, midlifers, who still like to strut past the pool and stop the party dead in its tracks with a tube top and full jewelry. Wow. I'm not kidding. I feel like I got a soul douche. Kristen Wiig is a Midwestern middle-aged woman who, along with her best friend, played by Annie Momolo, go off in search of a life and adventure in the new comedy Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. It's one of four new movies we'll be discussing today on Stuff We've Seen. I'm James Kent from Stuff We've Seen. Hi, I'm Teal from Stuff We've Seen. And uh, in addition to Barb and Star, this uh, Go to Vista Del Mar, which rhymes. I really like saying the title of that movie. Uh, we'll also be reviewing Minari, uh, the story of a Korean immigrant family who decided to start a farm in Arkansas in the 1980s. But first, James begins with the newest film from Oscar-winning filmmaker Lee Daniels. It's The United States versus Billie Holiday, and it stars singer and first-time lead actress Andrew Day in the title role. Andrew Day not only plays Billie Holiday, but she does the singing in this film, too. The movie focuses primarily on the latter half of Holiday's career when Billie Holiday was already addicted to heroin and the government, looking to silence the voices of African-American celebrities, single Holiday out for prosecution. The reason? Holiday's rendition of anti-lynching song Strange Fruit. Holiday is set up by an African-American FBI agent, Jimmy Fletcher, played by Trevante Rhodes, who, after helping the government lock Holiday up for drug possession, has misgivings and begins a bizarre relationship with the singer that occupies much of the second half of the film and sinks it. There's a moment in the movie where Holiday convinces Fletcher to try heroin, and the movie launches into an extended dream sequence that serves as a way to understand the abusive past that Holiday came from, but comes across as exploitation, as does much of the film. While Andra O'Day does a fine job as Holiday, the movie is a joyless exercise in delving into the most darkened corners of Holiday's life without ever letting the audience know or understand what made one of the greatest female vocalists of the 20th century so great in the first place. Daniel seems more occupied in trying to make drama out of the U.S. government's obsession with the Holiday and Holiday's drug addiction than giving his audience a real sense of who she was and the relationship between Holiday and FBI agent Flesher feels forced and unrealistic. This was a big disappointment for me. This uh, was a tough set. I think you summed up a lot of the problems. Uh, I think the biggest problem is that it there's no humor or joy in this story, and there is no creativity it, it doesn't portray her as a creator or someone with a vision she was a, a genius at musical arrangement uh, we don't see her working on the music at all we see her suffering for two hours interspersed with songs and her singing i think is pretty good i i feel like her performance is far and away the best part of this movie better than the film i would say way better than the film way better i really found her really engaging to watch and the rest of the film i had trouble paying attention to it's such a downer and you mentioned exploitative and i think there is something to that not just in terms of the visual stuff but in terms of the way it exploits the story by creating this romance that didn't exist 
which is like a redemption arc for this character, for this FBI agent character, uh, that I think doesn't work. Uh, I was not invested in their relationship, and there's, and also in the second half of this film, they uh, they montage over a few things that seemed like uh, maybe they had shot and decided they just needed to go quickly through and rush it through at the end. So this uh, this film is not a. Uh, it, not not a joyful experience. Uh, there's nothing to celebrate here. Uh, it's not a celebration of Billie Holiday. It's it is an attempt to put a political spin on her story. Uh, I think that's right from the title, and the title, unfortunately, I think portrays her as a victim, and so does the film. Yeah, and I I was talking about the exploitative angle. There are some moments uh, with her character and men um there are some sex scenes that are very graphic but in almost a very exploitative and angry way um and and they were just a little unsettling and i kind of felt uh bad for the actress andrew day to have to be put into those situations and if i'm in the audience and i'm feeling that uh that's a problem for me yeah and those scenes also go on way too long they do. Um, so I was left scratching my head a bit because the Billie Holiday story has been done once before in the early 70s with Lady Sings the Blues and Diana Ross. Uh, she was nominated for an Oscar for that film. Yeah. And so the question is, you know, why remake it? What, what are you bringing to the table? And as you mentioned, it seems like it's really about this political angle about – what the FBI was doing to these African-American celebrities. Um, but that, you know, again, it was never one singular focus. And so nothing kind of worked for me. And it's supposed to be, in theory, uh, the film is supposed to be focused around her insistence on singing this song. Yeah, and they build up a moment that I feel like really was kind of obnoxious and earned. And it was this moment where they pull off and she's going to use the bathroom, I guess, in the woods or the or the or the a field and she comes across um, a lynched uh, man and you know it it felt very set up as far yes. as for the film and i don't really like scenes like that i don't feel again things have to be earned and they have to be realistic and i didn't buy much of this movie again focusing on the song you don't get the song until halfway through the movie this is true and so the whole thing is about her insistence on this song and her repeated desire to sing it and the movie doesn't even give it to us for an hour. Yeah, and they also, you know, they play with history, obviously. Uh, but yes. her big comeback after she got out of prison, which was at Carnegie Hall. Yes. Which you may not know, because, you know, I did a lot. Of, you do a little digging when you're so I did this much research to find out that she actually did sing Strange Fruit. It was the Fruit. first song she sang. Yes. So I'm expecting, because I, I didn't watch this straight through. I watched it in chunks. And I'm expecting at that moment, she is going to defy the government. And yes. she's going to sing that song. And again, this is where I'm like, boy, Lee Daniels missed a really great moment to unleash yeah. the song. That's when he should have done it. And he doesn't really seem interested in having Andro Day perform Billie Holiday's songs all the way through. There's only a couple of moments where she ever sings a full song. And that's often one of my favorite things about musical biopics is the music. Yes. And <laughs> this movie was not focused enough on the music or her as an artist for me. It was really her as a miserable, drug-addicted, abused victim of 
white supremacy, of the men in her life, of financial people, uh, people scamming her out of her money. It's all negatives. There's no, and apparently uh, she was a really funny person, her friend said, and she is not funny in this movie. Nope. So, so uh, two regrettably uh, sad thumbs down on stuff we've seen uh, for the United States versus Billy Holiday. Yep. Can't recommend this movie. Next up on Stuff We've Seen, we've got Rosamund Pike as a court-appointed guardian from hell in the movie I Care A Lot. And the, even the title is kind of sarcastic because she uh, cares about money. She is uh, runs a business where she takes over power of attorney for elderly people who the court has deemed uh, incompetent or a danger to themselves and needs somebody to look after their finances and their time in a nursing home. And she takes on that role and then proceeds to scam them out of all their possessions, basically, cut off their family, seal them off. <laughs> and uh, she and her partner are, are running this scam, and they find this woman, played by Diane Wiest, and I uh, haven't seen her in films in a while, but it's nice to see her again. And she... Uh, Puts her in a nursing home, starts taking all her money, and then something happens. Then this is the first twist of the movie is that Diane Weiss' son, played by Peter Dinklage, is a drug runner, Russian mafia type guy, and he is not happy this has been done with his mother. And that sets off what is essentially uh, a movie about two people. Uh, he threatens her. She threatens him. They fight over the, uh, the mother back and forth in a game of one-upsmanship of threats, violence, backstabbing, and cons. And it's a satirical sort of neo-noir with some really great side performances. I was happy right at the beginning to see Macon Blair as uh, the child of somebody she had scammed. Uh, I like him from the movie Blue Ruin, and he gave a fun little performance for about five minutes in this movie. And the side characters in this movie uh, all sort of give fairly interesting performances, which gives the movie some more texture than it would otherwise have. So I was initially, while watching it, not quite sure what I made of this film except enjoying those side performances. But this is a movie that doesn't have good people in it. And for me, the fun of watching it was these two, basically two villains fighting. And my sympathies shifted back and forth between them throughout the film. There, there was a long period where I just wanted the gangster to win because she's such a despicable person. And then he becomes kind of even more despicable. And then I want her to win, but I don't want her to win. And uh, without giving away the ending, I will say the ending uh, was correct. It, there was no other way to end it, I think. And so did I enjoy it? Yeah, I, I got into the wavelength of this movie, which is that it is a satire of capitalism and how ruthless it uh, people need to be to... At one point, she says there's two kinds of people in the world. There's takers and those who are taken from. And this movie is about two takers t trying to take from each other. And for me, that was pretty fun. It was entertaining. The back and forth was entertaining. I liked Peter Dinklage's performance. I don't know Rosamund Pike well at all, except from that Gone Girl movie. 
and I thought, you know, I enjoyed her character. She's somebody who I thought at several points throughout the film, I thought she was going to give up and she doesn't. And to me, that was a good move on the part of the script. I would have given up, if I was her, I would have given up a lot sooner. But then again, I would never be scamming old people out of their money. Uh, so I thought this was a fun, twisty little noir, n you know, n not the best movie of the year, but uh, an enjoyable entertainment for me. What do you think? Well, last episode, I already mentioned that music was the worst film I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> so clearly that's the worst film of the past year. But if it wasn't for music coming along without question... Without question, I Care A Lot would be the single worst film of the past year. <laughs> I can't even believe that you even partially like this movie. It is horrible. It was a terrible film, and it's all because that the subject matter is not necessarily one that fits for satire because it's very disturbing. It is, and it's a and it's a real it's a real thing that does happen where you know older folks who don't have relatives and stuff could end up with a point a court appointed guardian, and so it was hard at all for me to like the Rosamund Pike character, even for the the you know you sometimes you have an anti hero a villain that you can she's root for. not an anti hero she's just a villain she's just the most despicable villain possible. This movie wants you to try to like her in order to make the second half of the film work. And the problem that I had, and my wife, who was sitting there watching it with me, had, is that the movie, does to me, doesn't even get going. It's not, it's, 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 I think it's just even a flat, terrible movie until Peter Dinklage arrives. Then the movie yes. kind of picks up a little bit. But the entire time is you, as and I think any audience member would watch it, I didn't, for one second, root for... Rosamund Pike, I wanted bad things to happen to her through the entire movie, and I don't think enough bad things happened to her so that everything that happened <laughs> and every ridiculous thing that happened afterwards in the plot, which makes no sense, none of this movie makes sense at a certain point. And the problem is when you're going to have a movie that makes no sense, well, then it has to be like a complete spoof from the get-go, but it sits itself and wants it to be in the real world, but then in the second half of the movie, it wants it in this fantasy where there's no rules or logic applied because the things that happen a Ros I thought it was a fantasy right from the beginning. Uh, no, no, no. Well, yeah, but the thing is, is that what, what they do to Rosamund Pike, right? There's no way she would survive that crash. No way. Well, no. And, and all the these other things are so ridiculous. And like I said, it sets you up when she has to one-up Peter Dinklage. Yeah. It only works if you even remotely root for her. But you're not. And so I'm getting more angry at the movie for trying to make me <laughs> like it. And then there's just ridiculous stuff where like, you know, like we, how much time is passing that they can buy a new house to move into? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and oh, by the way, her partner is Aya uh, Gonzalez. Okay. She was in a, a Baby Driver and, and some other movies. Okay. Uh, so there's all of that going on. Diane Weist, who is great in the film, she just disappears, right? And you she want, does. You well, want she her doesn't, more in the movie. She's just the victim. She's the thing for them to fight over, basically. She's just a, a plot a plot MacGuffin almost. And I feel like they were trying to like throw in some stuff like, well, what if we what if we show that Peter Dinklage's character is into human trafficking? So now now we won't like him. But no, you still <laughs> like him. You don't care. Well, you, and that's the problem. You like him. You like him better than her i at no point in the movie did i sympathize with her i hated her i wanted her to suffer the more she suffered the funnier i thought it was 
this is another thing that bothered me about this movie. And this was something I had to actually ask my wife, because was I wrong yeah. on this or not? And I don't know if this is a new trope that's coming out. And in my view, yeah. this is written and directed by a man, is that the power woman, right? The uh, yeah. this, this strong like woman uh, villain is a lesbian in the movie. Oh, yeah, that's true. And she has a Latin girlfriend who's her partner in the film. Partner in crime. Yeah, and I feel like it's this trope now where like, oh, I see. If you're the tough, strong woman, evil villainess, you have to be a lesbian. Interesting. And that that bothered me too. There's so many things that bothered me in this movie that while I had a a, a couple of moments, one was kind of kicking in with Dinklage, I felt like at every turn, the director as writer ruined it. By just basically saying, I don't care if any of this stuff could ever make sense. It doesn't matter, but it does. It does. See, okay. I thought it was a fantasy from the very beginning. I thought it was a satirical fantasy. I didn't think at any point you were supposed. I didn't think the film wanted me to sympathize with her. I think the film wanted me to take Dinklage's side, and I pretty much did for the entire movie. And well, satire is like the big short work. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, but that's the thing. If you if you can click with how mean-spirited this movie is yeah it was a downer not as much of a downer as united states versus billy holiday well it's a different kind of downer but it's an incredibly mean-spirited movie with mean people being mean to each other if you find that funny which i do it it, kind of clicked with me but i gotta say not a huge fan of this movie i know I thought it was an enjoyable little diversion, kind of a just a dark satirical noir. Uh, you're right. whole bunch of it doesn't make any sense. I didn't really care. I thought the whole thing was a fantasy from the first five minutes. It sounds like your thumb is halfway. My thumb is so far down <laughs> that I can't find my thumb anymore. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard for me to give a thumbs up or thumbs down on this movie because I feel like I'm really stuck in the middle. If I was on Metacritic, I'd probably give it a, a 58. That's a lot. I would give it maybe a five. <laughs> okay. So next up on Stuff We've Seen, our next film is a new comedy from writers Kristen Wiig and partner a- Annie Mumolo, the two writers behind the smash hit comedy Bridesmaids. It's Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, directed by Josh Greenbaum. This is the story of two lifelong friends, uh, Barb, played by Annie Mumolo, and Star, played by Kristen Wiig, who are completely satisfied with their ordinary dull lives working at their town Jennifer's convertible store and <laughs> hanging out with their middle-aged friends' they're, social They're group. not just satisfied. They love it. They they love it. They love everything about their lives. And, and most importantly, the fact that they just they can dream about adventures that they never will take because that would take them away from their... They're just humdrum, beautiful life (laughs) working at Jennifer's Convertible Stores until one day when the Jennifer's Convertible Store closes and the wall around their protected nest of the mundane comes crashing down. (laughs) But out to prove they still matter and seek out the adventures they've been afraid to go after before, Barb and Star hit the beaches of South Florida to a magical middle-aged resort area called Vista Del Mar. Along the way, their trip is threatened, and so are the lives of everyone at Vista Del Mar from the evil plot of Sharon Gordon Fisherman, also played by Wig, as a person with a rare skin condition that leaves her pale white. She's looking for revenge on her hometown that spurned her as a child, and she has a plan that involves deadly mosquitoes. (laughs) 
and a lover slash henchman she's strung along so he can carry out her fiendish plot. And the henchman's played by Jamie Dornan, known to most filmgoers as Christian Grey in the terrible Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy. Here, Jamie gets to play along with the laughs as he accidentally gets involved with Barb and Star and uh, starts to form a relationship with both at, at first, but then eventually with Star. And then, you know, the rest is sort of like chaotic formula f- comedy. The problem I've always had with Kristen Wiig is that most films just haven't found the right vehicle for her, mm-hmm. aside from Bridesmaids, which she wrote with her writing partner. And this is the first film that she's been in since Bridesmaids that I feel like the right vehicle again (laughs) for what she does and her full commitment. And so is her friend, Annie Momolo, to creating these crazy Midwestern characters. And when we talk about satire or movies that just say, yeah, whatever conventions of a film are going to go, we don't care about the rules. This is this film. And you mentioned a word earlier uh, in this episode. And it's something in a review I read about this film, and it's called Wavelength. And this movie isn't about a plot (laughs) or a story. It's a wavelength. And this wavelength isn't going to be for everybody. But if you get on this wavelength, this movie is just crazy. And I remember, I didn't know anything about this movie. I knew the, the, the name of the movie. That was it. So even right within the first five minutes, I said, "What the hell is going on here? <laughs> this was so. This movie was nuts." And my right, you know, right from the first thirty seconds. Yeah, my son, my oldest son, was sitting on the couch, and he was doing some kind of homework thing that he had to finish up. And this was something we were going to watch. And next thing you know, like ten minutes into the movie, I see that he hasn't finished. I'm like, "Why haven't you finished what you're doing?" He's like, "I'm watching this movie." And so he watched it and he was like, that was one weird movie. (laughs) He didn't quite, but my wife and I, I guess because we're middle-aged, we thought it was a hoot. And even though I think that the last part of the film, like the very conclusion, just kind of maybe fizzles out a little bit. I, for laughs, and if you can get on the wavelength, I am highly recommending this wacky comedy that has a lot of funny stuff going on and a really fun relationship between uh, Kristen Wiig and Annie Momolo. So big thumbs up for you. I think a pretty good yes, a thumbs up, but I but I also recognize that it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. It has a wavelength, but what I appreciate and what we were just talking about is it tells you what that wavelength is in the first five minutes. Yes. You can tell if you're on board with it in the first five minutes. If you're not, great. But and I, it was not the opening I was expecting to this movie. I didn't know what I expected. Nine. I didn't. That's why it was. You know, there's a kid going down the street listening to Barbara Streisand music. Yes, throwing singing along. Yeah. But then he enters like a special tree fortress, and that's when he I entered, was like, "What's going on here?" Yes, he enters an underground lair where there's a supervillain, and he's one of the henchmen, and <laughs> named and I Yo-Yo. Knew, I I knew nothing. Like I told you, when I went in cold in this movie. I did not expect that there was that side plot going on to this movie. I thought it was just about these two Midwestern women who go down to, you know, to visit Del Mar, Florida. I had no idea there was this other ridiculous thing going on. I, I didn't either. I had no idea. And I also didn't recognize Kristen Wiig. Oh, as the villain? As the villain. And so I'm I'm about 20 minutes into the movie and I'm like, 
Who is that? Is, is that Tilda Swinton? I thought at first it might have been Kate Blanchett doing some kind of cameo. And then right. I realized, wait a minute, that's Kristen Wiig and that this character is actually going to be a part of this movie. So I had to look it up. And apparently there was a guy doing color timing on the movie who worked on it for three days before he figured out who she was. That's hilarious. Yes. And so it really is a transformative performance, I feel like. It's so different than the star character. It is. You actually do buy her as two different people, just kind of like Mike Myers doing all those characters in the Austin Powers movie. She has a little bit of a nose prosthesis and some weird white eyes contact lenses. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, this movie absolutely has a wait. You said something about liking it cause you're middle-aged. I gotta say, I think this is a Gen X movie. Really? Yes. Oh, well, yeah, well, we're middle, guess what? Gen X is middle-aged now. <laughs> that, exactly my point. But, but I feel like a lot of the humor, uh, is similar to things we saw in the eighties and nineties. I said to my wife, I said, boy, I have a, this movie feels like something from the 80s or 90s. Yes, exactly. That's what I mean by it being a Gen X movie is it feels like a little bit of a throwback to almost like, I don't know, early Adam Sandler movies. Let's not bring, not that, let's not bring him in. <laughs> well, just in the sense. <laughs> I know what you're in, saying. Like, it was just silly for the sense of silliness. Exactly. And Billy Madison, it's just like, okay, we're just going to have a musical number here right now. Why not, right? Hey, and there's a, a great musical number in Barman Star. There's more than one. There's also something that I liked in that movie is that the traditional film that it tries, it follows all these rules and then it breaks Oh, it them. follows the formula to a T. Like, they perfectly. get to go to the beautiful resort and then they're yes. kicked out because this wasn't the resort, so they go to the crappy one. <laughs> However, unlike most movies where now they have to make the best of it in the crappy resort, they get invited into the, the good resort. They, they get upgraded. <laughs> yeah. They get upgraded. Yeah. So I never I never saw any of those Fifty Shades of Grey movies. And I saw the first one, and it was so bad. Yeah, but, but I uh, – so I, I didn't know this guy before, but I thought it was a really fun performance. I thought he, w he was a good foil to uh, Barb and Star. Well, yes. <laughs> and another thing, I was, I was describing this this uh, movie to my wife. Oh, I, she didn't see it. She didn't see it. I she wants to she now. Might like it. <laughs> and she said, uh, "I was trying to describe who Barb and Star were, and then I I forgot kind of to tell her that it was a comedy." <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I said, "Well, they're kind of like Saturday Night Live characters." That was sort of my initial impression of them, but they're actually not caricatures they they may start off that way a little bit and but over the course of the film they they're pretty well developed characters you get a really good sense of who they are and this there's a little bit more depth to the story than there might be in a typical like skit turned into a movie and th that's not what this is it's not a skit but you know, those Saturday Night Live type movies. Yeah, let's put it that they get a chance to go on their own separate adventures and find out who they are. And those adventures are hilarious, too. <laughs> yes, those are hilarious, too. So, yeah, I got some good laughs out of this. There's just some really the movie is its own thing. It, it's completely silly at times, detached from reality. I mean, <laughs> when they come out of the water at the end. <laughs> 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 well, and then there's uh, also this thing where they're on the airplane and they get excited about the free magazine on the airplane, which nobody right. would do. And then they start talking about this uh, this fictitious person, Trish, and they spend and they the just entire plane ride about Trish. 
and they make up this story together and it's they're just like so creative about it and yeah they create this trish character who then dies at the end of their story and (laughs) get really sad uh but also the movie is uh really bright and colorful and uh, like neon pastels or something it's it's visually fun to look at i don't know this director but it 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 had more visual fun going on than most comedies. Yeah, and there is one other thing that you probably don't know this character, and 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 I do because my wife loves him. But there is a lounge act, this guy Richard yes. Cheese, and he does lounge versions of like popular hits. He loungerizes oh, okay. them, and he's in the movie, and he uh, like sings these ridiculous he's songs, <laughs> and he's also with them. He co-wrote the big dance singing number. At the Vesta Dharma. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but so there's a lot to like there, and I'm and I'm happy you liked it because I know that sometimes comedy isn't your favorite genre, and so I wasn't sure what you were going to think. That's why I just said you're going to watch this. I would make you watch this, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> you're right. It's not my favorite genre, and you know it doesn't make me giddy. But I I, I chuckled a few times. I, the thumbs up for me, and a thumbs up for me. And today's final film is Minari directed by Lee Isaac Chung from his own screenplay, starring Steven Yeun, Yeri Han, and Alan Kim. And this is a movie about small family, actually sort of a nuclear family, a mom and dad and two kids. The parents are Korean immigrants who have been living and working in California for a decade and have uh, sexing chickens, actually, chicks. And uh, they've saved up enough money so that they could buy about 50 acres in Arkansas. And it is the father's dream. It's his American dream to start a farm, to grow food, to sell it, to be self-sufficient and be his own boss, really. And so he packs up the family and brings them to Arkansas and they start this farm. And it's not quite what his wife expected or wanted. And they have two children, a daughter and a younger. I don't know the ages exactly. I'd say the son is maybe six and the daughter's maybe nine. The son has a heart murmur, which figures prominently in the film. Uh, And so they start setting up this farm and they meet a uh, sort of, he's a religious enthusiast. He's a Pentecostalist. He's a Pentecostalist to the point where he will speak in tongues at times, uh, and he becomes their friend. He's just this uh, guy who works on the farm and helps them out, and he becomes their friend. And their grandmother comes from Korea and uh, to stay with them because they feel isolated. <laughs> the little boy thinks she's not a real grandma because basically she doesn't do any cooking or baking, and she just uh, plays cards and is kind of foul-mouthed and sarcastic, and bra- she's a brassy old lady. Uh, and so this small family uh, struggles against stuff that happens when you start a farm. You drill a well and then the well goes dry. Uh, your distributor doesn't want to buy your vegetables. And so through all of this, we see this marriage develop and struggle to stay together. We see a lot of this from the young boy's perspective. I think this is semi-autobiographical from the writer-director uh, or maybe quite biographical. So a lot of it is seen from this little boy's perspective and sort of what this sort of family is becoming and what it means to be American and all those things. And it's a very naturalistic, uh, heartfelt film with some really stunning performances. 
sometimes I feel like the plot points are a little too expected. And so there wasn't a lot of surprise for me in the story. For me, the surprises came from the performances uh, and which are really stunning. I think the mother is sort of the emotional core of, of, of the movie, but his character is really interestingly developed and he plays him in a really specific way that communicates this character's uh, desire and ambition and arrogance at times, even though there's a little bit of self-doubt, uh, but he, he, his arrogance gets him in trouble a few times. So overall, this is, I guess it's one of this year's Oscar contenders. So it's uh, getting good reviews and well-liked by just about everyone. Yeah, I mean, you know, these are films that come out uh, at the end of every year that get a lot of accolades. And then with those accolades, I think there are expectations that come along with it. So you mm -hmm. sit down thinking this is going to be, oh, it's going to be amazing or something. And then yeah. sometimes you're inevitably disappointed. And maybe only one of those, like 10 of these movies kind of meet your expectations. For me, that was Nomadland, met all the me expectations. Too. This film I thought was a really nice movie. Um, you know, it was nice. And I had uh, some laughs uh, and then some serious parts. You know, it wasn't anything... Uh, super great it wasn't probably my wouldn't necessarily make my top 10 of the year list but i did enjoy it, it made me think about a lot of things and some of the things that nomadland made me think about mm -hmm. and it's again it's this taking a look at a story that is away from the big cities right away from la away from yeah. from new york city and all that silliness and what most of us kind of uh, in the cities kind of uh, expect those stories and here yeah. you have an immigrant story where to you and me we might be like why would anybody want to go to the midwest <laughs> and start a farm right but that was a dream uh for these people and they they came from korea and it's very crowded possibly where they were there and there was no opportunity to maybe do a farm yeah. that he would want and you know, as immigrants, they struggled for years in California just making money sexing chickens, which I thought that was fascinating because I didn't Fast, know much Absolutely about fascinating. And the fact that he's incredibly good at it and super fast at it. Yeah, that was an interesting side note. A little character trait, yeah. And then, you know, the movie, I think, is largely told from the point of view of the little boy. Um, yes. And so that's always sometimes interesting to see what a kid's perspective are. And they watch mm -hmm. and observe their parents who really from the outset of the movie are not getting along. Well, I think the first line in the movie is they pull up at the farm. And they get out of the car, and I think the first line is her saying, this is not what you promised. Yeah, and I got a sense that all <laughs> along, she didn't want to go there in the first place, but she felt right. like, okay, he promised me whatever, I'm going to go. And there's a little bit of understanding that, you know, there's it's maybe more of the patriarchal family structure in right. this Korean family. And then there's a lot, I mean, there's just, a, they're fighting throughout this whole film. And I go, the ending might have a little bit of a cliche beat, but I think it's taking them full circle to, for them both to see that the two of them are important to each other. Right. And that they can't really live without each other. Yes. I agree with you on the idea of the ending. I just thought the execution was pretty sloppy. Yeah. I mean, it like wrapped it up a little too neat, too quickly at the end. Uh, and I felt like there was maybe one more scene that I wanted to see. I don't know what it was. You're always wanting more. See, sometimes the film is going to say, well, you're not getting any more. This is the film. I know, but I'm criticizing it for being too perfunctory. The, to me, the heart of the movie, where it works the best and is the most interesting, is the relationship that the little boy has with this sassy grandmother who comes. Yes. And yes. he's afraid of her. He's never met her. 
And so he's never met her and she's it's scary to him. She's quite a personality. Well, because the two kids, though, they're growing, they're growing up in a Korean household where their parents speak limited English. Yeah. They speak English. And, Without accents. And they're, yeah, they're American. And so I think a part of that is he's scared of this grandma from Korea who speaks no English. Right. And, and she then turns out to be a delight, which is was, was the surprise for me, as you said about the character's surprise, yeah. too. She really is fun and, and sassy and interesting. And you, I really love the relationship that starts to form between the little boy and the grandma. Well, and, they, and they're sleeping in the same room together. Yeah. And how they, you know, how he begins to, how he learns to love a grandma. Yeah, and also some of the pranks he plays on her. Well, yeah, I don't know if we, I don't want to give away the surprises, <laughs> but I got to tell you that that made me laugh. It was me hilarious. Too. And so it was hilarious. It's yeah. a movie of moments. It's more, it's a snapshot of this guy's memories that he strung together yeah. to a plot and into a film. And again, I, I thought it was a, a good movie, but you know, again, you said, is it a surprising film? No. Uh, have I seen it a lot? Yeah. Now, have a lot of younger audience seen a movie like this? Maybe not. So they may Maybe have a not. stronger reaction to the film than you and I did because we grew up in the 80s where they had all of those farm movies that came out. But they were all about white people. So this representation of immigrants following sort of a similar American dream kind of narrative is something we actually haven't seen that much of. Well, I think that it reminds you that this is supposed to be a nation of immigrants and that yes. the immigrant experience, it's the same no matter what color you are, you're gonna yeah. you're gonna struggle. You're gonna try to set up a farm. You will meet friends. They're gonna have people that will help you. You will have these roadblocks. And instead of it turning into a movie where we dealt with the farm and the big bank, it, suddenly right. there's problems where he it, it doesn't have the money to pay the water that they have to have for their trailer. And then of course he's having water issues because he doesn't want to pay what he thinks is sort of, which is funny because we know right. If we know, well, maybe not everybody knows, but we know that those guys actually are real dudes. They they can yes. find water and there's a process, yes. but it looks a little bit like snakes oil salesmen. It does. My grandfather knew how to find water, yeah. uh, but largely as a geologist. <laughs> <laughs> right. He, he, he brought the stick for. <laughs> he, brought, he brought the stick along just to make it look good, right? <laughs> Pretend That's there's awesome. some mystery to it. But in fact, no, he could just read the landscape incredibly well. That's great. Uh, so <laughs> it's an enjoyable movie. It's it's nice. It's friendly. Uh, it gives you a look at a life that you may not have seen before, and that's really valuable, I think. But I didn't fall in love with it. And thumbs up or thumbs down? I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Right. Not a, your thumbs not way up in the sky, but it no, is. No, th no. But it's up. But it's it's definitely a thumbs up. Yeah. And, and a thumbs up for me. Not a not a super not not a like best of the year type of thumb, but it's still a thumbs up. Yeah, and this is a movie I will be recommending highly to my parents. Mm, yeah, just like Nomadland. Just like Nomadland. Yeah, I think that, and and they're very similar. <laughs> well, I don't find them similar, except that in thematically, the idea about exactly about what is America, what does it mean to have that American experience, and I yes, I think for a lot of us, it's not that the American dream is dead; it's that we just don't we think as that's a little bit hokey. But this right. is a film that really focuses on immigrants who've come here. They do think about what the they American are pursuing dream. that dream. Yeah. And, you know, they do touch in this. This is what's interesting, right? Religion is brought up in this movie. Mm -hmm. And 
I think it was done in a very interesting way because there's a few facets. We talked about the the, the Pentecostal the Will Patton character, and he's got his church right. He doesn't go to church on Sunday. No, he lugs a cross down the road. He lugs a cross giant down wooden the road. cross. He lugs around. Yep, on Sunday. that's his church. I, I love it. Yeah, uh, and then they go to church the local church for the yeah. community. But this is where I think was a very fascinating and amazing thing. At one point, she meets a local Korean in the chicken um, house where they're sexing yes. there too. Oh, yes, money. this part was fascinating, yes. And she says, hey, you know, w- w- there's others in town. We should have our own Korean church. And the uh, person that was sexing said that, no, they don't want to because they left Korea so they could get away from the church. Exactly. And so that was a very interesting notion because the idea of why people came to America originally was so they could practice religion their own way. And this idea- This is very similar, yeah. That they want to get away from what they were forced to practice or that that community, they want to be able to kind of, you know, get away from that. I just thought it was another interesting aspect of how religion plays into the story and Mm -hmm. the culture and the values um, and also this need to kind of build some form of community with the people. And then they they do go to the local church and they're welcomed there. Uh, and of course, you know, well, it's so funny is they're all sitting there and they're passing the money. And, <laughs> and the uh, grandmother and, takes Well, the, the money. father gives like $100, right, to the yes. church because they're new members. And the grandmother sees that and is like, we need that money. She takes that $100 <laughs> takes right, out of, the right out of the plate and doesn't tell anybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, but again, she was surprised. You know, the, the, like I said before, the surprises are in the characters, if not the story. It's a pretty typical American dream kind of story well you expect the grandma is going to be this like super strict korean right, person who's right. going to be like the most strict and doesn't but yet she is like the most free-form person of all yeah absolutely yeah um and you know and there's just those other things that get brought into the story that like this is why i like a small story like this that yeah you you know we talk about the plot that seem familiar but then it's the conversations in the movie where yes. will Patton's character has experience with korea because this is the early 80s he was a korean war veteran he was a korean war veteran yeah uh, and so you know there's a lot of things that i just i enjoyed again it's a weird movie it's just a nice little movie part of the reason i was comparing it to nomadland is just that it's uh, it's character focused. It's a small story. Uh, it's fairly naturalistic. So yeah, it's it's a good movie. It's a solid movie. So uh, to recap on uh, stuff we've seen this week, we had four films. Uh, Jim and Teal gave two thumbs down, way down for United States versus Billy Holiday. And you know what? I hate that I'm giving it a thumbs down because I really I wanted to like it. I wanted to like it. That despite a great performance from Andrew Day, the movie just can't, uh, the performance can't carry the whole movie. Yeah. We had a split decision of sorts on of I sorts. Care A Lot. <laughs> uh, Teal give it a sort of modest thumbs halfway, and yeah. Jim's thumb was way down. <laughs> way way down, 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 down. You're forewarned going into that movie. That uh... <laughs> It's a Netflix movie. That's all the warning you need. <laughs> we had two pretty enthusiastic thumbs up yep. for Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Vista Del Mar. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, it's so, such a fun title to say. Isn't it, it is. And I, I wasn't expecting the movie to be as much fun as the title, and it was. <laughs> it was. And then we have two, you know, happy thumbs up for yep. Minari. Um, that, you know, you may want to check out and enjoy. And if you're... Uh, I think it's worth checking. I mean, it's just, it's a very wholesome movie. <laughs> it's hard not to like it. Yeah, it's it's really hard to dislike. And I can see where some people might just love it. 
absolutely oh i can see it people really clicking with it and connecting with it yeah all right well you know we did our sort of fun little kind of version of uh siskel niebert uh for this particular episode it's not gonna be the new format we just thought it would be fun to do well it's it's rare that we're doing four new movies in an episode that's so. kind of where it was i was like well we got four new movies they're out there and they're, they're either on demand um or you can catch up with them like i said on netflix or streaming and yeah. those things so yeah those are four movies uh uh, our next episode coming up, we are going to be going to the Oscars. The Oscar nominations oh, yeah. are coming out. And that day, we will go over all of the nominees. So you'll want to stay tuned for that. Coming up on, that'll be March 15th. We'll try to get that episode out as yep. fast as we possibly can. I got a couple of flicks to catch up on before then. Well, you don't know. You may not want to catch up on them if they don't get nominated. <laughs> that was always the great thing. If I hadn't seen some films that might get nominated, if they don't get nominated, I'm like, they can go to the bottom of the list. I am not watching Hillbilly Elegy. <sighs> yeah, you know what? Even if for some reason Glenn Close gets nominated for that awful film, it's not worth seeing just to say that you saw all the nominees of that category. I refuse to watch that movie. If it wins Best Picture, I'll watch it. Now, this year, I think I'll have done pretty well because unlike a lot of years where I have to wait to see if they're in my theater, a lot of these things are on demand or streaming this year. So I've been able to see a lot of the, the contenders. Yes, I've seen quite a few of them. One, or, uh, there's one I'm missing. Uh, the father is that really? That isn't really. I think it's in some theaters, right? And we don't yeah, have theaters open near theaters. us. So I'm I'm looking for that. And then the movie you should catch up with. We haven't talked about it on the show uh, because you haven't seen it, but it's really good. Uh, it may get some Oscar nominations. Is Sound of Metal. Oh, yes, I do really want to see that. I'm afraid, though. I'm afraid that that's going to be one of those movies that's the one that gets left out because not enough people saw it. Right. And it, it do certainly doesn't have a lot of uh, press buzz going around. Uh, well, not that you've read. I've read plenty. <laughs> um, but the lead, the lead performance could get nominated for Best Actor. And then there's a supporting performance in the movie that is my favorite supporting performance of the year. It's so good, and if he doesn't get nominated, I'll be very sad. Okay. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an actual working deaf actor. Oh, yes, yes, you told me about it. He's yeah. fantastic in the movie, so that's the one to look for. Um, and then again, we'll just have to wait and see, uh, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll kind of talk about those films uh, once we see what the nominees are next week on Stuff We've Seen. So hope you enjoyed this special episode. Uh, where we didn't maybe dive into the movies as deeply as we do, but then that would have been like a three-hour episode. So It would have been, yeah. All right. Well, do you have anything else before we wrap up that you're desperate to say on these movies? No. Okay. Thanks for listening. Yep. And uh, all right, you know, go, go watch these movies, uh, see some stuff, and we'll be back next week with our Oscar episode. Say goodbye. Oh, bye-bye. <laughs> bye. Bye. <laughs> bye.